Hi, this is Nathan Owens from the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse in Antigua. Every Tuesday evening at 7.30, we have a live call-in program discussing real-life issues from the Caribbean. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program with Dr. David Murphy, designed to answer your questions biblically in this confusing culture. Dr. Murphy has over 30 years of counseling and ministry experience here in the Caribbean and is ready to answer your questions according to truth. Good evening and welcome to another exciting, informative episode of That's Truth. It's a live call-in program and we are excited to have you interact with us tonight. As usual, sitting across the broadcast desk from me is Pastor Dr. David Murphy. Good evening, Pastor. Good evening, Brother Nathan, and good evening to those who will be listening to the program. Pastor, we have one question that has come in uh, over this week. I will ask the question and then I will let you give a biblical answer. The passage comes from 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 2 through 5. And he had two wives. This is a passage talking about Samuel's parents. And he had two wives, and the name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Peninnah. And Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. And this man went up out of his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice unto the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hopni and Phineas, the priests of the Lord, were there. And when the time was that Elkanah offered, he gave to Peninnah his wife, and to all her sons, and to her daughters portions. But unto Hannah he gave a worthy portion, for he loved Hannah, but the Lord had shut up her womb. Again, those verses come from 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 2 to 5. The question is, Pastor, why it was allowed two wives back then by God, and today it's not allowed? Well, what we've got to do when we come to a question like this is to ask what was God's original intent for the family and marriage. And when you go back to Genesis, it is very, very clear that God's intent was one man, one woman, because he created Adam and Eve, and the two became one, uh, is also repeated when we came to the Ten Commandments, where he said you should honor your father and your mother, not your fathers and your mother. So inherent in that very concept is the idea of a monogamous marriage. Um, we do know that um, a lot of that preceded the giving of the law, which was written by Moses. Remember that um, up until Abraham, uh, it's about 2,000 years, and then uh, from Abraham to Moses is 2,000 years, from 2,000 years to Moses to Christ is 2,000 years. Um, within that period of time, um, God is dealing with man on the basis of being a responsible being. Uh, he's dealing with him at the level of his moral development. Uh, God is giving light, but he's giving light progressively. And remember also at this juncture in human history, there is an alienation between man and God. Man has fallen, man has gone away from God. The, the core truth that men had in the book of Genesis 
um, is lost. As a matter of fact, when God called Abraham, we are told him, he called him an early child, and we are told in the book of Joshua that they serve idols. Um, so this is a period of time when God is dealing with man in patience. As a matter of fact, the book of Acts chapter 17 verse says there was a time when God dwelt, dealt with this ignorance. He tolerated man's ignorance and man's stupidity and man's moral uh, decline. Not that he endorsed it, he tolerated it because of human, the human heart. But then the Bible said, now in, in these last days he's commanded all men to repent, re- repent. So there was a time when God was very gracious in dealing with man because of his fallen nature, man's idolatry, man's sin, man's iniquity, man's wayward moral life. And that was something that God tolerated. Not, he didn't endorse it. And he tried to curtail it as well by regulate the abuses uh, of, of humankind. Um, but then, of course, everything was pointing finally to when the Messiah would come, who's the final voice. The book of Hebrews says he spoke in times past on the fathers, the prophet, but now has spoken to us in these last days. The point I'm trying to make here is that it seems to me that when you look at what took place in the Old Testament uh, period, that God allowed and tolerated certain uh, conduct in humankind because of the limited revelation that man was exposed to. But as he gave more revelation progressively, he expected more man. The other thing is that in the Old Testament economy where these things were allowed, there was not the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to restrain uh, the sinful nature of man. Now in the New Dispensation, you've got the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Then we also have more revelation uh, as a result of the New Testament being added that shares a lot of light on the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, you'll find in, in uh, Matthew 19, when Christ is discussing this whole matter of uh, husband and wife, he pointed out that he, uh, the Lord made uh, Adam and Eve and created them one and, and said that the two should be one. And in that passage, he condemns um, uh, divorce. Uh, he, said, he pointed out that marriage was supposed to be permanent. So he took them back to Genesis 2 and 3 to explain God's original intent. Uh, so I'm just saying it was something God tolerated, and uh, out of grace, it was a time of tremendous moral and spiritual ignorance. And God, uh, but we must not use that as an excuse today to go back into that old type of. I've had a even a Christian brother uh, argue with me that um, polygamy is okay. Polygamy is not okay. It's it's totally condemned uh, in the New Testament. And uh, it is not okay, it is wrong, it is evil, it is ungodly, it is not God's intent. And we must not try to revert to back to old practices that the Bible uh, in New Testament has condemned. We need to hold the biblical truth and understand that we have a better understanding of God's plan. The Spirit of God has come, the Word of God is complete. The church has been here for 2,000 years, etc. All of these are different means of revelation, new truth that we have. So it's something he tolerated. Uh, just that he tolerates certain things today as well. For example, you read the book of Genesis, uh, um, it, it, uh, the book of um, Matthew, he talks about why did Moses allow divorce? And he pointed out Moses allowed it and God tolerated it because of the hardness of the human heart. It was never God's will for this to take place, but because of human sin and hardness, God tolerated all. What he did was to regulate the abuse of it. And that is how he has operated uh, from going through the Bible. But now that we've got this fullness of revelation, we now know exactly what God's will in, in greater clarity than any other generation, we ought not to try to, to go back to the old ways that are condemned in the New Testament. We ought to follow the new revelation that we have 
or the fullness of revelation that we have that makes it very, very clear that uh, polygamy is something against God's will and uh, we should not be engaged in such practices. Now, Pastor, you made the statement referencing their level of moral development. Do you believe in evolution? Is that what you're supporting there? No, I'm, I'm, I'm just saying that um, as man fell into sin, man became very corrupt. That's why there was a flood. We all know the flood because every imagined man's heart become evil. And then God started over with um, Noah and his three sons. Immediately after the flood, Noah gets drunk. His two daughters commit incest with him, and etc. And you find that the evil continues. But at the same time, you find that God calls prophets, God calls men, and God starts a, a new movement with the call of Abraham to start a new people that was designed to attract the, the heathen to God by their lifestyle and by their, their practice, both their civics, their civic life, their moral life, their spiritual life, and their ceremonial life, that this would be something attractive to bring people out of idolatry and out of the immorality that follows idolatry. That's why Israel was chosen. Israel was not chosen as an end in itself. It was chosen as a means to a greater end of drawing the people to follow God. Of course, we know Israel failed again, and God had to cut off Israel, as the Bible points out, and then God started the church. And the church is supposed to be a centripetal force. In other words, the church is to go out and present the gospel and make Christianity so attractive that people are drawn to Christ. The church is supposed to fulfill it. But yet the church today, uh, it seems to a great extent, is also failing in that regard. That's why the Bible says the church ends up in an apostate church, the world church. And then we're told the rapture will occur and then God will regraph Israel back into his plan. But how God deals with humankind is always to bring greater light and greater light and greater light. And he's been calling out uh, people unto himself. And uh, the whole design is that these people are not called in an end. They are means to a greater end of bringing people to Christ, to glorify God in their lives so that people are attracted to him. In this day and age, in the year 2021, how do I become a Christian? We become a Christian how uh, the New Testament explains it, and that is, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and put your faith and trust in Him and His death and His resurrection, and you're willing to repent of your sins, uh, the Bible says when you do that, God accepts you as a, as His child, God adopts you to His family, the Holy Spirit comes to indwell you, and there's a transforming work that begins on the inward man that is exhibited in the outward man. It's called sanctification through the Holy Spirit, and of course you have the Word of God that guides you in this uh, sanctification process. Let me share the contact information in case you just tuned in or in case you just have a question that has come to your mind. If you want to call and be put live on the air, the phone number is 1-268-462-7420. 1-268-462-7420. Time across the Eastern Caribbean and in our studios on this Tuesday evening is 743. If you'd rather WhatsApp or text your question, you can send it to one 268 Or you can join us on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Facebook page, click on the Facebook Live video feed, and comment your question under the video feed. Pastor Murphy, last week we didn't we ran out of time before we were able to summarize uh, and finish up the topic of types of Bible mysteries. And you had uh, given us a summary of the topic and what you discussed on it. Uh, Can you give us a real brief summary of what we mean in case someone hasn't tuned in yet 
and then we will finish up the topic. Yeah, we we, we uh, have said this about the third time that um, when we talk about Bible mystery, we are talking about a truth that was held in the mind of God from all eternity, uh, but is now revealed uh, in this dispensation. Uh, the reason why we make that distinction is because when people think of the word mystery, they think of something that is uh, e- e- esoteric or enigmatic or um, that is very, very difficult to comprehend. However, when you look at the mysteries in the, that we explained in the New Testament, they're not so profound that you could not be understood. It's just that they weren't known before, but once they're revealed, uh, it becomes very clear that these are things that can be comprehended, and it doesn't take a genius or you don't need a special uh, type of uh, initiation service to, to bring this to your knowledge. That's the essential difference between a biblical mystery which is a, a hidden secret that God has now revealed that we kept back from the Old Testament uh, prophets, but now revealed by the, by, the, by the New Testament believers, especially the apostles. Uh, so we just want to make that very, very clear that we're not talking about something that only belongs to a select group who you have to be initiated, etc., or some ar- arcane truth that you can't comprehend. That's not what we mean by mystery. Bible mysteries are just secrets that were kept by God, not uh, from the Old Testament prophets, but revealed by New, New Testament uh, apostles. As we continue this topic, can you give us some of these, tell us some of these mysteries and where in Scripture they'd be found? Yeah, the, the first one I, I pointed out last time and uh, was in Colossians where Paul talks about the this age, this church age, this grace age, uh, that it was hid in ages past but is now revealed uh, to us. In other words, the Old Testament prophets and uh, in the New Old Testament spoke nothing about the church age uh, that is why there is a uh, a blending between the, uh, the the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ in the Old Testament. The, in one verse, you've got both mentioned without any gap in between, as though one will follow the other. And I might point it out that's the, that was the probably that was probably the reason why Israel never understood that Christ would come and die first, and then he would come back and reign as a king. They always saw that the Messiah would come, and they always saw him as uh, when he comes, he will create a kingdom. And he will defeat the enemies of Israel, establish Israel and Jerusalem as the center, and he will rule from there, which is what the Old Testament prophets promised that would be fulfilled during the Millennial Kingdom. But they never saw the gap. That's why in Isaiah, we pointed out that he goes from the first coming to the second coming, and there's no mention of a hiatus between there, a gap in between there, because they never saw it. It's only in the Old New Testament now that Paul said God has revealed this to us. And uh, and that's what, one of the great truths, the central truth, really, that is called the great mystery. Uh, there are others as well, Nathan. If you look at Romans chapter 11 and read verse 25 and 26. Romans eleven twenty-five and 26, if you're wanting to follow along in your own Bible, says, For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness is in part is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. And verse 26, And so all Israel shall be saved, as it is written, There shall come out of Zion the Deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. The point here, Paul calls this a mystery. Don't be ignorant of this mystery. But here's the mystery. The Old Testament prophets did not see that Israel would be judicially blinded at some point in time and that the, the Gentiles would be grafted into God's plan. Uh, and then the other thing that they didn't know, that when the fullness of the Gentiles is complete, in other words, when the last Gentile believer enters the kingdom, 
and is completed, then God would draft back Israel into his own plan. There's not a mention of that in the Old Testament at all, because there's no mention of the rapture. And that's the explanation. When the gen- last Gentile is saved, the believers are raptured, and then God grafts Israel back into his promise. So the church has a function until that last Gentile is saved, and then after that last Gentile is saved, God now removes the church and grafts Israel back. So that is what Paul is saying. Don't be ignorant of this plan. And a lot of people are ignorant of it because there are a lot of denominations that have no place for Israel. For example, the Seventh-day Adventists have no place for Israel. The Jehovah's Witnesses have no place for Israel. And uh, and uh, even the Catholic Church has no place for Israel in terms of God's economy. All of these, um, including, by the way, some Reformed churches, have no place for Israel in terms of the future. And that's why they're so skewed on their prophetic understanding of the Scriptures. You can't uh, displace Israel in the prophetic plan. If you do that, you have to uh, destroy a lot of the Old Testament teaching that is taught uh, what was going to happen in, in the future in relation to Israel. So Israel's a nation is in blindness now, judicial blindness, but the day is coming when uh, the church will be raptured and then God will once again remove the skills and graft them back in his plan. That's what we find there in math, in Romans chapter 11, verse 25 and 26. Pastor, i got a question on something you said there. You said that the last Gentile will be saved and then the rapture will take place. What would you say to the individual whose initial response to that statement was, but I'm not quite ready to leave this earth yet, so therefore I'm not going to witness as boldly as I would have. Well, that's a contradiction uh, in turn because we have a mandate to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Uh, It is possible for a believer to become so enamored with this world that he is so attracted to this world that he loses an interest in evangelism. But a believer who does that is a believer who is sinning and who is uh, far away from God and uh, in my judgment, uh, backslidden. Um, believers should desire uh, to be with the Lord, and uh, we should evangelize as, as much as we can. And we, we should not uh, in any way try to stop the last person from being saved by not witnessing that person. We should want people to be saved, as a matter of fact, uh, in that process. So I would say a person who holds that position is clearly in a backslidden state and not embracing true, authentic, biblical Christianity. And... Uh, if they are genuinely saved, they're really, really in a, in a sad spiritual state and, and need to get their life uh, um, fixed up. Pastor, a WhatsApp question from Antigua. Thank you to the individual who sent this in. Good night, gentlemen. Pastor Murphy, what does the Bible say about being with a married person, and can a married person engage a person while his or her divorce is pending? Let me hear that again. What does the Bible say about being with a married person? And can a married person get engaged to a person while his or her divorce is pending? Well, the Bible, why would a person, how can a person be with a married person? That's adultery. Uh, so clearly that is unscriptural. Um, if, uh, I, I, I don't know why the question is. I'm trying what to, about if you, rather than saying uh, with the person in the sense of sexual relationship, uh, having a romantic relationship, uh, uh, dating is, a person? That is still wrong because the person is married. Even if your divorce is pending? Yeah, but you have to wait until whatever. And again, not every person that is divorced has a legitimate right to marriage. Let me repeat that. The only biblical grounds for divorce is immorality, and abandonment. Uh, if the person is divorcing and they are not the innocent party in that divorce, their marriage is 
is prohibited in Scripture, and I would not marry a person who has uh, who has been divorced, who it can be shown very clearly that they were the wrong person in the wrong. Uh, why would a believer want to get involved in a situation like that when the Bible is so clear on this matter? So I would say to a person, if you are a believer and you are contemplating uh, marrying a person who is divorced, the first thing that you should try to find out is uh, what is the basis, do they have a biblical basis for divorce? And don't just rush into a situation and you, you live in regret that you didn't follow the biblical mandate because um, it's, it's imperative that we follow Scripture. We just can't do what we want because it's popular, because people don't see any problem wrong with it. We are biblical Christians who allow the Scripture to guide our lives. And uh, even though it might seem offensive to some people and intolerant with others, that's not a problem. Uh, we are Christians, authentic Christians, are those who follow the Scriptures and believe the Scriptures and take the Bible seriously and live by the Scriptures. Uh, a lot of people today who claim to be believers and Christians are simply not. And they must be told that they're simply not. Uh, uh, biblical Christianity involves a life of obedience to the Word of God. We are taught, called, something called the obedience of faith. That's what Christian faith is about. When you put your faith and trust in Christ, it's to bring about obedience uh, to God. Um, So there must be a transformation in in, in your thinking in that regard. So I don't know if I've helped you or disappointed you, but quite frankly, I would not encourage anybody to be dating a person who is is, um, divorced or being divorced. And clearly, one of the most important things is to find out uh, what caused the divorce and who is the innocent party. That has to be established before you go into a relationship with a person who's divorced. How do you go about finding out that information, Pastor? Because obviously everyone has their own perspective of the situation. Well, in my case, uh, I think I've only had one case where I've actually thought it was uh, proper for the person to, and that had to do with the fact that um, the person had made attempts to, uh, with the, got back with the wife again, to, and then the wife ran off with some a man again. It was a repeated thing. And I thought that that was a, a, a solid basis um, for divorce. Uh, so I, it's a matter of investigation. If you really want me or I would hope any pastor to get involved in a, uh, marrying a person who is divorced, some people, pastors will never do it. But those who know that there's biblical grounds and, and, and would do it, um, they would be very unwise not to do investigation. You should get permission from the person who wants to get married to go and talk to the partner to find out what's going on. And even if you've got to talk to some of the family members and people who know the situation, some people are very honest, upright, to tell you, listen, I was at fault. Uh, and so on. I know one case like, like that right now, that a person who has uh, been divorced twice and pretty much told me that, quite frankly, they're the responsible person. Now, I would never marry a person like that because they're responsible for the divorce. And I, I don't think the persons that they're married to ever got remarried. I would say to them, try to salvage the marriage if it is possible. Uh, but I'm not going to marry somebody who is uh, responsible for divorce and who is the guilty party. I'm not going to do it. You can find somebody else to do it, but not me. For the pastor, or maybe the young man who is getting ready to go into the ministry, if a pastor is asked to perform the marriage for someone who does not have the biblical basis for getting remarried, and you go ahead and perform the marriage in the day of judgment, are you going to have to answer for that? Is there a penalty for that? Does the Bible tell us? I don't know if there's a penalty. I, well, there'd be some kind of a penalty for loss of rewards. I know that. But in terms of uh, 
uh, you'll be held accountable because you've done something wrong. I mean, all of us can be held accountable, but we're not held accountable in the sense that we are going to be damned. The Bible says it's a matter of suffering, uh, the loss of a reward. So uh, there's no person that deliberately goes against Scripture, whether it's a pastor or non-pastor, that will not suffer some loss of reward in the whole process. So there are consequences, but they're not eternal consequences in the sense of condemnation. But the Bible makes it very clear in Corinthians chapter 3 that um, depending on what we build on Christ, whether it be wood, hail, stubble, gold, silver, or precious stone, and uh, that has to do with the quality of the kind of work that we do. The reward is, is, is linked to the quality and the motive for what we do. Thank you very much to the individual who sent in that question. We hope that you your question was answered. Time across the Eastern the time across the Eastern Caribbean on this Tuesday evening is seven fifty six. The name of the program is That's Truth. And if you have a question, you can call and be put live on the air. The phone number is two six eight four six two seventy four twenty. You can WhatsApp or text your question to two six eight seven eight two one four five four. Did you have something else you wanted to Yeah, add? I was going to say that part of the m- massive moral confusion we've got in terms of marriage and divorce and stuff like that is the complete uh, inconsistency of, of church leaders. They've got people that if they can't get it done over here, they'll run off to another church, another church will perform it. And uh, that has really been very, very detrimental to any kind of moral standard of dealing with these matters. There's a guy that wrote a book on, um, uh, I forgot his name right off the bat, but I've got three of his books. And um, he have had and been able to reduce the divorce rate in his state, uh, where he is. I forgot what the per- very high percentage, but the, what, where he's done that, he's been able to get all the pastors together and decide on two things. Number one, uh, we're not going to marry anybody unless they get premarital counseling. Now, okay. you'd be surprised how that has affected the uh, decreased the divorce rate. The other thing is that if they're not biblical grounds for divorce, we're not going to marry them. When you get that kind of a, um, a co- cooperation, then you're going to have the moral standard raised. But when you've got a person who can go over here and sleep over here and divorce and then go over and, and join a church and, and get remarried, it doesn't help the moral situation of a country. It actually declines as a result of that. So uh, I've thought of, of some time, again, a lot of, lot of issues need to be discussed. Of, if we could get that even among the Baptist circles on certain matters when it comes to, like, we're not going to marry anybody unless they get premarital uh, counseling. Uh, I think that should be mandatory in, in any country. Right Why now. is premarital counseling so important, Pastor? Well, look at what is happening with the rate of divorce. I mean, that should be very, very obvious. The other thing is that we've got a different mindset than we had in my day when I got married. When I got married, it was for life. The young generation is not marrying for life. They're married, and if it doesn't work, they jump ship and marry somebody else. It's such an easy situation. Uh, the other thing is that uh, the situation has become far more complicated than it was 40 or 50 years ago. For example, most a lot, when I was brought up, my mother never worked. My dad was the only person that worked. She was a housewife. You've got a different situation today. You've got women who are in, in the workplace, and the uh, the center of infidelity is the workplace. Really? Right? Oh, yeah. That's the main place that people get involved uh, in illicit affairs. All of that needs to be discussed before you premarital. The other thing is that in-laws are things that people don't look at, but it can be very, very destructive to the family. And the other thing about Nathan is that people go into a marriage thinking when they jump into bed, problem solved. They don't discuss things about 
how they differ personally. They don't discuss what are their expectations. They don't discuss about finances, how, who would handle finances. You'd be surprised. Uh, I, I am more and more amazed that I talk to people to discover after they, they've gotten married, now they're having trouble. When I ask what marriage counsel did you get? Well, we had two sessions with the past. What did they discuss with you? And I, I shake my head in total dismay, yeah. right? And you know, Nathan, you know, you know that if you want to get a driver's license, you do have to do a test. You have you to got prepare a for it. You got, yeah. you got a man. You got to do that. How can we uh, insist that you do some kind of at least study? And the one of the, the second most important decision you make in life, which is to get married. How come we don't insist that there's some preparation to marriage? Uh, and I feel that the any government, if I was a leader of a government, quite frankly, no, um, I would try to get legislation put in place that before any license can be issued for, for marriage, there should be premarital counseling. I think it would help to be transformative of the situation, the moral situation of the country, and I think it would also help to deal with a lot of issues that people don't deal with before. Uh, um, I wish we could go into more detail, but quite frankly, I think it is... Perhaps if it was practiced, it would help reduce the uh, the significant rate of, of divorce that we have today. I found it interesting and was kind of surprised when Renee and I got married in the state of Georgia. You actually got a discount on your marriage license if you had uh, premarital counseling. Well, maybe the government should listen to that and do so. But something needs to be done because the current situation, if it continues... Uh, we're not getting any better. We're getting worse and worse, and the moral state of the country is going to deteriorate. Uh, now with the drugs, that complicates matters as well. Uh, not that we've, not that we never had immorality, because I can go back to my school days and tell you some things that I was taught as a little boy that would make people's hair curl, uh, and that was way back um, sixty years ago. <laughs> and the situation has gotten really, really worse. The, the thing today is that more people are talking. And it's more public matter on these man- these issues that uh, that. Be- but then, but uh, I really think that something needs to be done because the the home is the foundation of society, and if the home can be salvaged, uh, the transformation of society can take place. But it cannot take place without the transformation of the home. You're listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse, 1160 AM, 92.3 FM, and online at www.radiolighthouse.org. Pastor, another What's Up question from another listener in Antigua. Thank you for sending this in. Good night. If both parties are Christians and one party, one partner isn't living up to the Christian lifestyle, is it legal to divorce? The only basis, biblical basis for divorce, I repeat, uh, is adultery and abandonment. Uh, the other partner that you have might be a professed believer, but might be unsaved. And uh, if you take if you take take the classification that maybe they're unsaved, read what Paul says. If the unsaved person wants to remain, you remain in the marriage. So there's no b- excuse for that. Um, there's no basis for a believer jumping over the marriage because the other believer is not living as a Christian. Uh, what that believer needs to do uh, is to try to be an example and try to live the lifestyle and try to get some radical change brought about in that person's life. But it's not being brought about by preaching to them or quoting Bible verses or leaving scripture uh, on their cell phone that they can hear. What is going to change them is to see your life change and be very, very um, impressed by the fact that in spite of all they're doing, 
yet you live in this transformative life and this life of genuine Christianity. I think that would be this transforming effect, not just quoting scripture or telling them this is what they ought to do. You start living the life and start encouraging, and it might be painful at first, but um, I think if you do that, that's going to have the impact. Uh, Peter talks about that in the book of Peter in relation to the wife, uh, in relation to the husband, but the principle applies as well when the wife, the husband is the one, and the wife is the, the, the one who is the unsafe person. It works both ways. We've been talking about types of Bible mysteries, and Pastor, you were t- talking about a passage in Colossians in the book of Acts. Did you have any other examples? Yeah, if you look at uh, Ephesians 3, 3-9, three there's another uh, mystery there that uh, Paul talks about. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 3-9 to says, How that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery as I wrote afore in a few words, whereby, when ye read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Verse 5, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel, Wherefore I made a minister I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power unto me who am less than the least of all the saints is this grace given that I should preach among the gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and verse 9 and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God who created all things by Christ Jesus. I can't be plainer. Paul is mm-hmm. saying that uh, quite frankly that, that in God's plan from the very beginning he goes back from the very beginning was that one day there will be a group of people called the church made up of both Jew and Gentile and that they will share a common faith and a common fellowship uh, centered around the person of Christ. That was hidden and not seen in the Old Testament. Uh, in the Old Testament, the, the emphasis is placed on Israel as God's people. But if a person wanted to become part of the family of God in the Old Testament, he had to become a proselyte and become a Jew, be circumcised and follow the law of Moses to become part. But now the Bible is saying that what was hid is that one day the Gentiles would be on an equal plane with the Jew into a common fellowship around the, the, the person of Christ and treating on the level of equality so you become one body in Christ. That was never revealed in the Old Testament. That's another mystery. It's called the mystery of the church, etc., etc. Uh, another one, uh, Nathan, is um, 1 Timothy 3.16. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, if you'd like to follow along in your own Bible says, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. Again, that is called a mystery of the incarnation. And uh, there's no detail. Even, for example, in Isaiah chapter 7, where it talks about a virgin would conceive, they really didn't understand what that meant. In other words, would a a virgin marry somebody and have a natural birth? It's only when you come to the New Testament, that same word virgin uh, is now speaking of a person who has never been, have never known a man. So even in language, that was chosen in the New Testament now be, makes very clear what that concept of virgin was in, in, in Isaiah chapter 7. But that's a mystery that God would one day become a man 
and in the person of Jesus Christ. That was not hid from the ages, ages past. How would that really happen? But uh, so it's called a mystery. Another one uh, is Second Thessalonians chapter two verse seven, which says, "For the mystery of iniquity doth already work." Only he who now letteth will let until he t- be taken out of the way. Now, what does that mean, Pastor? The, nah, what it, well, the, he that hinders. That word let there means he that hinders. Well, okay. That's, that's where the bad, the bad yeah. it's the old archaic language that creates confusion there. But really, is he that hindereth will be, uh, will be taken out of the way. That's what it is. So what's, what's talking about here is that it was a mystery that the development of evil would climax in the coming of the man of sin, one called the Antichrist. See, that, that's the mystery that Paul is talking about. Uh, we do know that evil would would uh, evil uh, would come, but the idea that this evil would one day be embodied in a, a, a person who is a leader who becomes the Antichrist, the very opposite of Christ, that was not revealed until we come to the New Testament that the, the, the climax of sin uh, will be the man of, a man of perdition, the Antichrist, that is a mystery that Paul is talking about. And then, sorry. Uh, I was just going to ask, so God gave more revelation as we got to the New Testament right. time period. How do we know, Pastor, that God isn't giving additional revelation through, let's say, this pastor down the road that is prophesying? How do we know that what you're saying, that new revelation has stopped with Scripture? Well, to my mind, there are two things. Number one is that if you read Genesis and you read Revelation, I think anybody who reads um, Genesis will realize that you've got the beginning of a book, the end of a book. There's okay. no question about that. There's a, whatever uh, was done in, Revel- in, in, in um, Genesis is actually undone. It's like paradise reclaimed. And the, the same kind of language, the tree of life, whatever, all that basically is back in. So it's very, very clear when you read those two books together that one is the final sequel to this whole beginning of the book of Genesis. The other thing is that in um, Hebrews, uh, it says God used to speak in times past, but has half of these last days spoken to us in His Son. The final voice is His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ is the same one that tells us that the disciples, the Holy Spirit would bring to the disciples' mind everything that he had told them so that they would pass on in their epistles what revelation we need to know. So uh, that idea that Christ is the final voice, and he indicated that his disciples would be the one that would pass on the final revelation because the Holy Spirit would be given. Those are two things that make it very clear that there's no voice to listen, to listen after. He is the final voice of up to mankind that God has in his son. So if you accept the Bible as truth, you have to come to the conclusion that revelation, new revelation has ceased. I don't think that you uh, you can actually embrace new revelation. And, and by the way, let me explain the confusion that has come as a result of that now. Because people uh, abandon the idea that the Bible is complete and full and inspired, and uh, you have now the Mormon movement. The Mormon movement has came about because you have extra biblical uh, uh, authority. You've got the writings of uh, Joseph Smith, the Book of Mormons. Uh, you come to the writings of Ellen G. White as well. Uh, they put her writings almost on par as the New Testament. As a matter of fact, she is like the main commentator on the interpretation of the Bible. Uh, that has created a problem as well. And then, of course, you've got uh, the JW with the writings of, of uh, Russell. 
Uh, he even said in one of his writings that you need his writings to understand the Bible. <laughs> so you can't understand the Bible without him. But that's the idea when you add additional revelation uh, and you open that door, there is going to enter all kinds of confusion, all kinds of contradiction. And that has created all of the major cults that you find out there on display. Uh, they all have some extra biblical source of authority. Pastor, we have a call from Bendel's Antigua. Thank you for calling, and go ahead with your question, please. Good evening to the panel. Good evening, sir. I'm doing good. How are you doing, sir? Yes. Hi. Uh, I have two questions. Sure. Uh, first one is First Kings chapter 19. Was that one? First Kings. First Kings chapter 19. What verse? 19. We tell you 10, 11 to, to the last verse. But uh, let me tell you, this Elisha, David Ellen, in that chapter in King and David in Revelation chapter 2, are the same David Are you trying to figure yeah, out? We're, we're having a little bit of hard time. Your voice yeah. is a little muffled sounding. Can you yeah. repeat the question? Okay. Uh, I tell you, the, the Jezebel. Jezebel, okay, okay. okay. Uh -huh, uh -huh. And Elijah. Uh huh. Are you saying Jezebel in. in and John talk about the no, 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 no. Remember that Jezebel becomes a type of a corrupt person who introduces idolatry into Israel. If you read the passage there in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, the woman in that, uh, forgot which church, who is uh, called Jezebel, she is the, the, the type of what, in other words, if you read it carefully, she introduced two things into Israel, uh, Jezebel, idolatry and immorality, because by introducing Baal worship, idolatry and totem went together. If you read the book of Revelation, this lady in that particular church similarly brought into the church idolatry and immorality, so she's called Jezebel in that particular church. So she okay. allowed, so it's okay. a, it's, she became a symbol, a symbol of a, just like you'll also find in the same uh, Revelation, they talk about, um, oh my, I'm just trying to remember his name, um, ba Bala Balaam. Yeah. Right. He's also mentioned, uh, in, in also, that. So, so, and what did Balaam do? Balaam is a guy that put up his prophetic office for the highest price. He was a mercenary person. Uh, he was operating on the basis of money, what money came in. And that in that in the book of Revelation, one of the churches as well, there was somebody in the church as well who was actually doing the same thing. They saw Christianity as a means to enrich themselves. Uh, so they, he, Balaam became a symbol of a person who's willing to sell his prophetic office to the highest bidder. Uh, and, and that's why he becomes a symbol that I, I, as well. What's the other question, sir? Well, that one, that, that was not the question I was asking. Oh, okay, thing, okay. And, and now I realize because, and that one there, but give a chance to repent, and she repent not, but in the one against Elijah, uh -huh. she was against the prophet. Right, okay, then. yeah. But uh, let me tell you now, in verse chapter 10, uh, verse 10 and 11, and that verse, when Elijah had flee from Jezebel, and the angel appeared to him, uh -huh. and the angel telling him to go on the mountain and the earthquake and the heavy wind pass. Uh -huh. And he tell you where the Lord was not in there. Right. So what, why the reason that the angel had seen him there if God was not in there? Well, what he, what, what uh, Elijah was expecting, to be honest with you, is a big furore. Uh, he's expecting that God would vindicate him in some miraculous way. You know, he's running from a woman. So he's wanting God to do something spectacular. But then he, God let Elijah know that he speaks in a very soft voice. I'm not gonna, it's not the spectacular thing I'm going to do here. 
uh, in dealing with this, this situation. That's not how I always have to operate. Uh, show pyrotechnics and show something that is so majestic that people are awed by it. But his still small voice, and you find that he later will send uh, a message to tell uh, the prophet to go and tell Jehu to become the king and change it over from Elijah to Elisha. Still small voice. God is still in control, but he's not in. He's not going to demonstrate himself with you know thunder and lightning and loud noise. No, no, he doesn't operate that way all the time. In a very small, soft way. God's work continues in His sovereignty. He accomplishes His purpose, but not in the kind of way that we think. He ought to operate. So when we, we're saying that we want to see him in the thunder and the lightning and, and all this kind of uh, public demonstration, uh, God chose, chose, chose not to demonstrate its power that way, but in a very so- small way, a very soft way, a very calm way, he orders uh, things to be done, and he would deal with Jezebel. And you remember how he dealt with Jezebel, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But again, there was no pyrotechnics there. She didn't expect it either because when the guy came and and, and said who's up there, she said it is me, and of course she powdered her face and uh, she thought that he. And then he said, "Throw her down," <laughs> and then the dogs ate her bones. So, but you know, Elijah really wanted something more spectacular than just uh, God calmly going about doing His purpose, fulfilling His and dealing with Jezebel in time, but not as Elijah expected Him to deal with Jezebel. That's why He showed him all of this to so let him know that it's not always in the thunder that God speaks. It's not only in all of this fire that God speaks. Sometimes He, he, he very calmly goes about His purpose very serenely, but it is done just as effectively as if He used thunder or lightning. Okay, and 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 when he came into the young, to the young children of Israel, and his key captive mother over over Elisha, and then and then Elisha tell him, bid me to go and tell my kids, my mother, my father farewell, and I come follow you. Uh-huh. I remember in the Bible, come in Matthew, one of them, and one Jesus tell people follow me, and he say, I married a wife, I have to go and. And I fell at land, I have to bury my mother, and Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead. Uh-huh. I, and then I find out, as Elijah, as he tell, Elijah tells tell him, let me go and beat my father, kiss my father and my mother. I wonder if that comes to the same thing. Well, it, in a sense it comes, but remember that the urgency is, is like the Messiah has finally come. And uh, it's not like, I mean, the Messiah is far superior to Elijah or Elisha or Elisha. So you can see there's a different situation altogether. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's an urgency at the moment. And the, the, the Lord is called uh, John. He's fishing. And the Lord said, come follow me. They come and follow him. Now you've got a guy who is sat under the ministry and heard, know the Messiah, seen all these miracles. And he now wants, the Lord said, follow me. And he said, let me go home first and and uh, bury my father, I think it was, he said. But remember, uh, how long is it going to take to bury the daddy? Is the daddy dead? Are you going to wait until the dad dead then to get come into the kingdom and work for the kingdom? It was a matter of urgency in that situation. See, so it's not that it's not that his father was dead. His his whole idea was well, when my dad is dead and I take care of business, then I will come and follow you. The Lord said, no, no, no. The kingdom of God is at hand. You you come with is a sense of urgency, and uh, so it's a little bit difference between Elijah dealing with that situation and our Lord. Remember that the. The, the kingdom has come, repent, the kingdom is at hand. It is an urgency at the moment. Not only that, God in his flesh has come. You're not dealing, not dealing with a man, you're dealing with God himself. 
and he's telling you to come, you're telling him, well, let me go home and first <laughs> take care of daddy. Let me daddy die, then he'll come and follow you. No, it can't work in the kingdom of God like that. So that's why our Lord was so adamant in dealing with that situation. It might seem very harsh, but it was an urgent matter that needed to be to be done. Yes, and, and knowing God is all-powerful, you know, God knows straightforward that was F to this. Correct. Okay, then I understand that. Anyway, I don't think about the time. Maybe next time I will... I can, I apply my next question. I yeah, we, appre- we really appreciate your calling. Thank you Thank so you much. Give, give my regards to your wife as well. God bless. I do that. Thank you very much. Uh, Have a nice day. You too, sir. Thank you for your call. Continue to spread the gospel there in Bendel's Antigua and continue to encourage others to tune in to That's Truth. How about you? When was the last time that you encouraged someone to tune into the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse? And since we are in the middle of That's Truth, when was the last time you encouraged someone to listen to That's Truth? Maybe it's someone at work. Maybe it's someone that's antagonistic toward the gospel, and they have some questions that they are asking you, and you really don't have the answers. You don't feel like you are able to adequately answer them as thoroughly as you feel you should. Encourage them to listen to that truth. Maybe some of those questions are on your mind, and you would like Pastor Murphy to assist you in answering those questions. You don't even have to tell us where you're from if you don't want your area code or your country mentioned, just mention to us that you'd like to stay anonymous, and we will keep it that way. Time across the Eastern Caribbean is 8.20 on this Tuesday evening, and you can send your questions via WhatsApp or text message to 268-782-1454. If you would like to call and be put live on the air, the phone line is open and available and waiting for you, and the number is 268 462 7420. Maybe you are a person that enjoys spending time on Facebook. You can go to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Facebook page, click on the Facebook Live video feed, and you can comment your questions while you listen to the program and watch behind the scenes. Pastor Murphy, you had just mentioned 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 7 as a mystery, talking about the Antichrist. Are there other mysteries? Yeah, look at Revelation um, 17, verse 5 and 7. There's another mystery that the Bible talks about there. Revelation 17? Yeah, verse 5 and 7. All right, verse 5 says, And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of earth. And verse 7 says, And the angel said unto me, Wherefore didst thou marvel? I will tell thee of the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carrieth her, which hath the seven heads and ten horns. Yeah, that has to do with the fact that the church, the we talk, nobody wrapped the church. We talk about that, but there is going to be the end time a great apostate religious system that is called the woman that rides the beast. She is the ecclesiastical power in the end days that will ally herself with, with the political uh, class. Um, revelations calls that a mystery because how can the church be raptured and yet you have this apostate church remaining during the tribulation period? So it's a mystery. It's unfolding that there is the true church that's going to be taken. But there will be this apostate church that will grow to the end time and become a large monstrosity that will align itself with political powers. And uh, Paul call, I mean, uh, John calls that a great mystery. So that's the mystery of the great apostate religious system that will uh, uh, f- be finally climaxed in the, in the end time. 
And by the way, I would recommend to people who want to know uh, a little bit more about that, there's a book by David Hunt uh, called The Woman Rides the Beast. Uh, I would recommend that you, you, you get that and Google it and uh, read it. It, it. it explains to you the, the development of the system, and it also gives you the description of the woman and the kind of colors that she used, the scarlet and all of that, and it will explain to you very clearly which church basically is going to be the core of this false apostate system in the end time. And I would recommend that you read that book. It, it's a profound uh, book that he's written, but very, very detailed, and um, he's done a tremendous job in, in, in interpreting the passage and explaining why this particular church is identified there in Revelation. Pastor, you keep making statements or referencing the Bible as your source of truth. We haven't talked about this for a long time, but as a believer, how should we respond if someone is discussing with us truth and they make the statement the truth is relative? What's the biblical worldview on that? Well, look, Christianity is... a religion that believes in propositional truth, that God has given to the church uh, truth in a propositional form, in other in written form, that God is a God of truth, and he's imparted that truth uh, to his word. Uh, it is impossible for a person to claim to be a Christian and still deny scripture. Um, I don't consider people like that to be true, authentic believers. Um, if the Word of God is either the Word of God or it's not the Word of God. It's as, as very simple as that. You can't pick and choose because the moment you do that, everything is relative now. I can decide on this part is true, that part is not true, so we create in total confusion. We either, you know, but remember when the, uh, the, in Luke chapter 16, when our Lord gave the parable to the rich man and Lazarus died, do you remember that when uh, the rich man was in hell, he said to uh, um Lazarus, Abraham. Yeah, yeah, Abraham. If you could send uh, someone to my five brothers to warn them not to come into this place of torment, you remember what he told them? They won't believe him. He said, listen, the one go for the dead and tell uh, tell your brothers that your your own brother sent me to you and tell you that he's in hell and don't come here. He said they would not believe it if they don't believe Moses and the prophets. Those are the very words of Christ himself. So if they don't accept the books of Moses... Uh, and they don't accept the prophetic books, they will never believe. That's the point. And that's the, that's the whole essence of the apostate religion we've got today. There are churches that claim to believe that they're Christian, that are simply not Christian because they've completely abandoned God's Word. Let's call them what they are, fake churches, apostate churches, but not genuine, authentic churches. That needs to be settled because the day is coming, if the Lord tarries, that we who are holding the Scripture and take the Bible seriously, we are going to suffer persecution because we take positions that are biblical. And we must be prepared for that. And you know who's going to assist uh, uh, people to, to, to mistreat us and persecute us? Those apostate churches, like they did before, they're going to do again. So I'm, I'm saying to you, Brother Nathan, that the Word of God has been given to us. The God of truth has given His Word. When Christ was on earth, by the way, he said, not one jot or not one tittle of the word will pass away. If he held to the scripture as authentic, how can we who believe in Christ hold a, a lesser position than he? And he was God himself. That is how uh, we ought to view scripture. So 
uh, people who claim to be believers and don't accept the Bible are just bogus believers. They're not true believers. If we are defending our biblical worldview and someone is trying to convince us that truth is relative, is there ever a way that a Christian can agree with that statement? Truth can never be relative. Okay. If it is truth, it can't be relative. Truth is, is, is truth. It, it, it's no, there's, no, there's no anti-truth. Uh, as, so either it's truth or it's not truth. Okay. Um, you know, one and one is two. One and one can't be three or four or five or six. Uh, that's a truth set. And when it comes to the scriptures, um, when the Bible is the word of God, is the truth of God, it cannot be something that is contrary to scripture that is truth as well. But here's the problem. Today we're living in what is called the postmodern world. The modern world was a rational world. We live in a postmodern world where uh, logic and, r- and rationality is no longer applicable. People got their own narrative, their own story, and they prepared to entertain all kinds of, of, of other options. That's where we are. But as Christians, we believe in logic, we believe in reasoning, we believe in absolutes, and uh, we believe that the Bible is God's Word. So um, relativism is not... Uh, uh, an appropriate way of uh, a, b- a person embracing uh, a belief like that is contrary uh, to Scripture and contrary to God's Word. Do you have any other mysteries that you'd like to draw our attention to? Yes, another one that we talk about. Look at First Corinthians chapter fifteen, verse five. First Corinthians chapter fifteen and verse number five says, "And that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. Fifty-one. Sorry, fifty-one. Fifty-one. Fifteen. Fifty-one. All right, give me just a second as I scroll down here. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty one. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. Yeah, that's, a, that's the rapture right there. And if you read uh, Thessalonians, I think it's 4 that deals with it, that's the mystery that was hid from the ages that, that there is a generation that will not die. We're not all going to sleep. We're not all going to die, but we'll all be changed. And Thessalonians explained that when the Lord returns, uh, He brings the spirits of the believer with Him, and we who are alive will be caught up together to meet the saints, and we shall all be changed and become like Christ Jesus. That's the mystery of the rapture that is not revealed in the Old Testament. But I pointed out to you that in every New Testament truth, there's some Old Testament um, um, type. And that's where the story of uh, Enoch that was taken before the flood. That's why uh, Enoch's story helps to confirm to me that there's going to be a rapture because every Old Testament type has a New Testament fulfillment. And the only fulfillment of a type that would meet the demands of uh, when Enoch was translated, couldn't find him, is the rapture. So this is what it's talking about here. It's a mystery. It wasn't revealed in the Old Testament that's what would happen, that would be a generation that will not see death, but we be changed. This is called a mystery here in this particular chapter. So I, those are some of the major Bible mysteries uh, that we, we just looked at. And there are others as well, there are about two or three others. But I think those are the main ones that people can understand. And, and by the way, none of these mysteries that I explain, when you explain what they say, there's nothing... Uh, that is not easy to comprehend. Uh, There's no difficulty. The language is simple, what the Bible teaches, and you don't have to be initiated and to become some part of some kind of elite group that only have privy to certain knowledge. This is ex- Once this truth is revealed to us, this mystery is supposed to be shared with the world because Christianity, you remember what? Uh, when uh, Pilate was questioned, Jesus, he said, this thing was not done in secret. In other words, Christianity is something that is transparent, uh, it's nothing to be hidden, and that's why Christians should not be part of uh, organizations that have secrets, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. 
we should be the most transparent people on planet Earth because God uh, is light, and we are part of that light. We reflect his light. Pastor, the gospel is simple to the point where a child can be saved, correct? Correct. But yet, a preacher can spend his entire life, or a theologian can spend his entire life studying Scripture and still not grasp everything. How do you balance those two things? Well, let's put it this way. There's never been a person who has been able to grasp all the truth in Scripture. As a matter of fact, I am so awed, even even now, at the amount of Christian books that come off the press almost every month. I mean, you can go online and... Uh, you can go on um, Christian books and, and look, and you see that new copies, this thing. The Word of God is um, almost infinite in its depth, and there are things that you see, you, you read a passage before, and then as you mature as a believer, the Holy Spirit gives you greater insight into the passage. That is why <clears throat> we know it's God's Word. Uh, it is just a profound uh, book, and... Um, it's just the nature of God, basically, and the Scripture reflects His nature, and we can never comprehend God, and we could never comprehend this book in its fullness. And remember, there's some things in this book that are revealed to us, some things that are not revealed that belong to the secrets, that belong to the Lord. So we will plumb our debts. Now, the Gospel, of course, is about trusting the Lord Jesus Christ, but there's more to the Gospel and more to the Bible than just the Gospel. There are biblical principles that you have to find to deal with issues that people are dealing with today. For example, abortion, uh, same-sex marriage, um, homosexuality, lesbianism. What are the biblical principles? Is When you're forced to deal with these matters to give a biblical position, is then you begin to delve into Scripture to find out what are the biblical principles that have relevance. And another topic may come up again. Uh, nothing else may come up again. You, you're forced to go back to the Bible to find the principle because the principle is there. We know it's there because God said He's given all that pertain to life and godliness. Uh, and as these issues come, their, their biblical principles become very clear as people begin to study them in greater depth. Do you have a question that you would like to ask Pastor Murphy? You can call us, 268-462-7420. You can WhatsApp or text us your question, 268-782-1454. Are you enjoying the program? I hope you are. Are you enjoying Pastor Murphy's teaching style? Uh, let me encourage you to tune into Sermons of Grace on Sunday evenings here on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. Pastor Murphy, for a number of years now, has been going verse by verse, even phrase by phrase, through the book of Romans. I believe he's on Romans chapter, are we seven? Six. six? six yeah. Romans chapter six right now. And he is preaching through the book of Romans very thoroughly. Tune in at 8.15 on Sunday evenings, and I know you will receive a blessing from that. Pastor Murphy, we have a call from Antigua. Codrington, thank you for calling, and go ahead with your question, please. Yes, good evening, Elderfield. Are you there? Hello, yeah. Yeah, we're listening. Go ahead with your yeah. question, please. Okay, my question is, um, how many generations between uh, Adam, Eve, and Mary? 
I don't know how much, but I just want to find out how much generation between there. If you can just listen me for a while and before you answer my question. And then after you find out the generation between Eve and Mary, you can find out for me Eve. This is how we are all living in sin at the time there. And then whenever the generation starts from Mary with Jesus Christ, there uh, we got a new generation in um they call it righteousness. I'm listening. Yeah, so we got a new um, generation from the time Jesus Christ come in. Um, do we got a new generation in, in righteousness? Um, that is my question for tonight. So um, answer me and then I'll well, just, well, um, hear what you have to say. Well, I don't know the amount of generation between Eve and Mary. I probably got to go into the... Um, do some reading on that to see what, but I, to my mind, it, it's it's immaterial. You know, Codrington, I would like to say to you that if you go through the Bible, you don't find that after the Gospels, Mary is mentioned any time in the Bible after that. You ever thought about that for just a moment? That all the apostles, John, James, Peter, uh, Paul, all of them wrote, but not one of them ever mentioned the name Mary after the Gospels. That should be very, very significant. And they're the ones that are left by the Lord, the apostles, to pass on biblical truth to us. You don't find her mentioned any time after her mention the Gospel where she has uh, become the mother of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I am not too sure... Um, I just did a quick Google search, and I know Google is not the okay. the source of truth, but sixty three generations between Adam and Christ. Okay, okay. But yeah. but um, I, I like to say something, Codrington. Uh, I I think you are too. I mean, I don't want to seem unkind to you, but I think you are too focused on Mary. <laughs> you should be talking about Christ. No, we're not. Uh, no, Christ. No, no, no. Everything no, no. should be Christ. Uh huh. You listen to me. Um, yeah. It's not that the part about uh, my two focus and yeah. Mary, you know. Yeah. It's just reality, reality. Remember that we have an Adam who was, who God created. Yeah. Now, we have another Adam who um, Jesus Christ come out, out of a woman, right? Adam name, as we see now, we see that Adam is um, come from the mother, Mary, right? Uh, uh-huh. Eve come from the Adam of her husband, um, Adam, right? So we have two Adam there. What, huh? the Eve came from what? Eve came from now. I didn't hear we have said. a mother in between, one with sin and another mother. Uh, other, um, one will come out of another. Maybe now she came and bring the one with righteousness. No, no, but you're missing the whole point. The whole biblical truth is this. Let me explain to you what the whole thing is about. The first Adam... All people that were born inherited sinful nature from the first Adam. So we are in the first Adam. That's the biblical teaching. God brought a second Adam, or the last Adam, who is Christ. Okay? The emphasis is not on Mary. It's on Christ, who is the second Adam. Okay? What, when a person believes in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are taken out of the first Adam and put in the new Adam. That's what it means by in Christ. A person cannot be saved except they'll be placed in Christ. You remove from one kingdom and placed into the other kingdom. There's nothing to do with Mary there whatsoever. The emphasis is on Christ being the last Adam, and that when you put your faith and trust in Him, you're taken out of Adam where you, the first Adam and put in the new Adam. And the, the second Adam is the man from heaven, God in the flesh. That's the emphasis of Scripture. It has nothing yeah. to do with Mary. 
Yes, but we remember that the, the two of them, so they have a woman in between. One is there are just unfine holy, and the other one is fine um, evil. No, 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 no. All both of them are evil. Both of them are sinful. Mary was sinful, and Eve was sinful. Mary said, "I uh, I magnify the Lord, my Savior." The only reason she was saying my Savior is because Mary was was a sinner. Right? You only a savior is a person who saved from sin. So she herself admitted that she needed a savior. Okay? So Mary was not immaculate. Mary was not a person that w didn't have any sin. Mary was born with a sinful nature, like you were born with a sinful nature. The only person that was never born with a sinful nature is Jesus Christ. Okay? And yeah, that is what you need to understand. Huh? Yeah, but he, she's, um, Jesus Christ come to her because she was fine highly and she was no, no. favored. Jesus Christ came to her because he had to be a man at the same time. Read the book of Hebrews chapter 2. He had to become flesh, human flesh, because man's sin, man must pay for man's sin. But he had to be also have efficacious uh, effect of his sacrifice, and that is because he was God. Because he was God, uh, he could pay for the sins of the whole world. Because he was man... He died as uh, as man who had sinned. He himself died in the place of man. So he had to be both man and God at the same time. So he had to come to some human instrument. The instrument is just there as a, an agent to be used of the Lord. But the agent is put aside. And the emphasis is placed on him. Nothing about the, the agent any longer. The emphasis is on Christ and Christ alone. Yeah, but um, what I find out about it now, I just believe that because of all those evil, what those Catholic people that so believe in Mary can do things to us now, and you other U.S. churches people, all the U.S. churches people, you all just believe because of all those evil things they're doing, and God said that how they are tempting him and they are doing evil. You just see what he do them when they do bad to him. This is how all those people. This is how they're still tempting him up to now. This is how, so up to now. You all are just tempting. The, the word of Christ because Christ come into this world uh, and maybe was there along with the rest, disciples and just because we are saying we acknowledge how many of you acknowledge Peter acknowledge Peter because he's doing a great work how many Peter. you acknowledge John because John is doing a great work and John tell you that how exactly because I'm not doing the work of um, whosoever that, that I who you expect I'm, me. I'm doing the work of Christ because he's coming after me and then he's going to be mighty full more than me. Yeah. But now this woman here who's ever so highly and to find so worthy of Jesus Christ to bring Jesus Christ into this world, you know. We don't have nothing to acknowledge her about this but we have something to acknowledge but she's with disciples and then we just left her and we just no, dump no. her like that. No, no, nobody, dump, nobody dumps Mary. Every, every year that um, every Christmas or whatever when you have a thing People preach on uh, something to do with, with her or something. So it's not that she's dishonored. Where is the problem? And uh, again, I wish you could read a, a Catholic dictionary and get a Catholic theological book, etc. The Catholic Church has turned Mary into an idol. You pray to Mary, you bow to Mary, you say a rosary prayer to Mary. That is pure idolatry. That's the problem we have. Not that we don't honor Mary. I've preached about Mary and, and uh, her life and the purity and stuff like that. But the problem is when you elevate her to the point where you are saying prayers to her and genuflecting to her, etc., etc., it's not scriptural. 
we're not saying that uh, you need my brother if I would say to you quite frankly that you you know I wish your scales could be removed from your eyes and you become so concerned about Christ and Christ alone uh, that's what the New Testament is about Christ and Christ alone the all-sufficient Christ who died for our sins Mary was just a human instrument and I would suggest to you that if she was here today she'd say to don't follow don't put your eyes on me he is the one you to follow. He's the one you pray to. He's the one that you adore and worship. He's the one. I'm nothing. See? Remember John the Baptist? He must increase and I must decrease. And the Bible says there was not a person ever born greater than John the Baptist. He's even greater than Mary. And Christ said no person ever born was greater than John. Yet John the Baptist said he must increase but I must decrease. Because he's a prophet. But, and he's uh, nobody else greater than him because he was the one that prepared in the way for uh, right. But for he's Christ. greater. He's greater for than Christ. He, and now this woman being yeah. him out uh, this uh, belly now with so much pain, and then people want to to kill her because she has the Lord. No, you're missing the whole point. I don't think you really understand the real issue here. The real issue is there's no biblical basis to pray to a woman or to pray to anybody, not even to pray to Peter, none of the saints. You pray to God in Jesus' name alone. That's all the Bible says. Anybody that's praying to any person other than God is worshiping an idol. That's what I'm saying. That's the biblical principle. And if you don't like that, I don't want to offend you, but that's the biblical. Unless you can prove to me from Scripture that what I'm telling you is not true, I'm saying to you, you need to understand that uh, to continue doing something that is unbiblical is wrong. It is sinful. That's all I'm saying to you. I don't want to offend you unnecessarily, but we must stick with Scripture even though we might have to offend people. We cannot surrender what the Bible teaches. And but, I, 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 yeah. I'm talking to Scripture because what I'm saying about Scripture, God is telling that they should not worship no other image before for His image. Yeah. And the Scripture said so. Yeah. And His image is supposed to be around the place all about. Whose image? He said the Bible tells you so that nobody should worship no other image but His image. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, even no, no image. He said, don't make any image. So it shouldn't be any image at all of Him. Okay, no image of him at all, period. Right? You worship him. He's an invisible God, and you worship the invisible God. That's the difference between Christianity and paganism. Uh, and by the way, that's why a lot of the Roman uh, emperors thought that Christians uh, were pagans and they were atheists because they didn't have any image of any God. They just worship an invisible God and they charge them that they didn't have a God because the Romans had a God in human form. But Christianity didn't have a God, didn't have any image at all. And they thought Christians were, were, uh, were atheists. And that's why they persecuted Christians as well. So I am just saying to you, go to your Bible, read your Bible, follow your Bible, worship the Christ of God. He is all in all. And every praise, every glory, everything belongs to Him and to Him alone. It doesn't belong to be shared with anybody. He will not share His glory with anybody. And uh, that's what the Bible teaches. Codrington, we really appreciate your call and appreciate you being willing to ask these questions. And as Pastor has encouraged you, go to Scripture, and that is the source of truth. Pastor, in relation to this topic, uh, can a person be saved without knowing the name Jesus? How is that possible? Okay. Can a person be saved without knowing the name Mary? Of course. Okay. So that goes to show the the importance of Jesus over yeah, Mary. Yeah, I mean, me, me, there's only one name given under heaven whereby a, a person can be saved. That's through the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Mary will not be there to open any door because Mary, quite frankly, is not any queen either. We have a church in Barbados called the... Uh, the uh, she's called the Queen of Heaven. This is the name of the church. I forgot the name of the church. I think Father Blackett was the was the uh, the person who was in charge of that church. There's no queen in heaven. There's only a king in heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ, right? As a matter of fact, uh, we don't want to get, go down that track. But the whole problem is the emphasis. And by the way, could I say this? Alexander Hislop's book, The Two Babylons, shows you exactly what happened with the Catholic Church. They brought the woman and the child into the Catholic Church. Because it was uh, Isis and his, um, I forgot the, the son's name. But in paganism, part of the, uh, the idolatry of worship was to put this emphasis on the mother and child of deity. And because they had allowed the, the, the heathen to come into the church, to make the church the, the church of Rome, basically, they, they put the same type of uh, um, idol, the idol woman, and made that the center. So if you read Alexander Heslop, he got, even got... Uh, uh, carvings of the old pagan system with the mother and child and showed you clearly this was brought into the church at the point of, that's why it has become such a central part of the Catholic Church everything seemed to revolve around Mary I've listened to uh, radio programs already um, the Gory's prayers and my, my, my tummy turned when they were to praying to Mary Mary this and Mary the next and Mary do this and move and I'm saying to myself this is totally incredible that in the 21st century where we've got an open Bible we're still following idolatry it's just stunning totally stunning you're listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse we are welcoming you to call in with whatever question may be on your mind or whatever you are concern that you have, and we will answer it from a biblical worldview. The time on this Tuesday evening is 8.47. We have 11 minutes left in tonight's episode, and if you just tuned in and you didn't get to hear the first half of the uh, the beginning of the episode, don't worry. You can listen to the podcast of it later this week. We will put it up. Just go to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse website, www.radiolighthouse.org. Scroll down to the second large picture that you see in the background, which is a microphone. Right in the middle, there's a circle that says podcast. You can't miss it. And then the page that opens, there will be the latest episode of That's Truth. And if you want to see the archive, you can go and see all 150 or however many episodes we have of different topics. If you are witnessing to someone or maybe uh, you are looking for a resource of being able to answer questions on different topics, it's a great resource to go to the That's Truth uh, podcast. There, We have it categorized by topics. Uh, we've talked through cults and different religions. And again, we're always answering it from a biblical worldview. We've talked about gender identity. We've talked about what is truth. We've talked about end times. Talked about how we got our Bible. And we've been talking tonight about... Bible mysteries. Pastor, is there anything you'd like to say in conclusion on this topic? Yeah, I would like to recommend two books um, for those who might be listening um, because uh, these two books really is Things to Come by Dwight Pentecost. Things to Come by Dwight Pentecost. I think that is a classic when it comes to dealing with all aspects of mysteries and, and, and Bible prophecy, especially Bible prophecy. And then the other book is All the Prophecies in the Bible by John Walvoord. Uh, both of these guys are from Dallas Theological Seminary. It's very solid evangelical uh, uh, um, school. 
And I think these would be two very helpful books in, in understanding a lot of these, these issues. I'd recommend those two books to, um, if you can, people can secure them and probably read them. Are there maybe misleading concepts about Bible mysteries that we need to be on our guard against that would lead to heresies? Anything come to your mind right off? Nothing immediately comes to my mind. Um, Maybe some cults that have misused this idea? Well, a lot of these secret societies um, always proffer some kind of secret knowledge, Um, even the the Masonic uh, order that is here. Uh, there are certain ceremonies you've got to go through, and as you go through these ceremonies, certain things are revealed to you, etc., etc. Um, there are other secret societies that have, um, in, uh, for example, Gnosticism that uh, John talks about and also Colossians deal with. There were always the idea that only a few people would have this esoteric knowledge and they'd come into it, and uh, these secrets would be revealed, etc., etc. And that's why Paul wrote so extensively in the book of Colossians condemning this kind of uh, practice and let them know that the, the you know Christ is the preeminent one. And, uh, you know, these are the things that really are just what he called the elementary principles of, 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 um, of the world, basically, called the first principles of the world. Uh, so... Christians should not be engaged in these kind of things, and I cannot think of anybody abusing, at this point in time, the um, any particular cultic group, uh, that religious group, that is, that have um, probably abused this particular term. I just think that people, when they hear the word mystery, just associate it with something that is so deep that you need some special learning to, to, to grasp it, not understanding that this mystery wants revealed. It's a very simple thing, but it's just that we would not have known it had not God revealed it. Nobody would have known about the rapture of these things. Yeah. We have a WhatsApp question coming to us from the UK. Pastor, would you say that Mary was the first to accept Jesus as her Lord and Savior? Well, the Bible doesn't say it, but I would assume that um, at some point in time she would recognize who he is. Remember that Mary never really understood the mission of our Lord. Uh, as a matter of fact, you remember when he went into the, uh, went down to Jerusalem when I mean, he was twelve years old, and then um, you remember that uh, they went back and they were assuming that he was among them, and then they had to go back and find him and ask him, you know, we've been worried why, and he said, I must be about my father's business, right? Uh, again, even at that tender age, he understood his mission. I remember that Christ pointed out again and again, I do nothing except my Father says it, and, and my Father, whatever I do, my Father does, basically. At that very tender age, he's, he's very conscious that he has a mission, and his mission is primary uh, to God the Father. You remember also that uh, on another occasion, uh, people said your mother and your father is calling you because his brothers thought he was mad enough they they're in the New Testament and he said who's my mother and my father and he pointed out these are my mother and my father and he said, those who listen to me those who believe in me these are the true mothers and fathers of mine again he's emphasizing that even the the human physical relationship is not as important as the spiritual relationship to him those who acknowledge him as a savior but clearly, at what juncture and at what time she really understood the fullness of what who Christ was, I am not too sure. But it is possible that she might have been one of the first people that believe. It's just that we don't know. It's just mere speculation. And I don't think we ought to get into that realm of speculation because uh, it's just human opinion when it's all over. Unless the Bible has expressly told us that, 
we should not try to speculate on these matters. If you are listening and you are saying, but I know the answers to these questions, let me encourage you to stay tuned. I know, and I'm speaking myself here, that hearing pastor answer some of these questions, even if it's answering them repetitively, has enabled me to be better prepared as I go out and witness and have discussions about a biblical worldview, about the Bible, and defending the Bible. Here's a question, Pastor, that has come in from a listener in Antigua. The gospel repeats many accounts, but it's written by different authors. Uh, I'm assuming it's talking about Matthew, Mark, Luke, yeah. and John. Why do the books of Moses repeat so much material, but they are written by the same author? Well, I, I can't answer that question indefinitely. Uh, I, mean, I, just, I mean, I just don't know. Um, I know that the book of Deuteronomy has a lot of repetition of what was put in other books. But again, remember Deuteronomy is the second law. And what I mean by that, Moses is going off the scene. And what he's doing really is reinforcing what he wrote before, and there are some changes. Uh, some of the in some of the laws, some some things that uh, he added to, which is additional uh, additional information that was not given previously. It's just a progressive revelation at that point in time. The other thing is that you know, if you look at um, even the Gospels, you find that Christ repeated things more than once. If you ever did a, a, a harmony of the Gospels and see exactly when the it was said that he said a particular thing and then say, said it again, and just like any teacher, the key to effective teaching is repetition. And you should not be surprised that you, when you read the Gospel and you and you read Matthew's account and you read Luke's account and Mark and, and John's account, you find that uh, something he said here doesn't fit in with the exact geographical location. It's said here because you have to repeat truth. <laughs> I don't know how how could you be going to the land for three years and meeting different people without repeating the same, because they need to hear the same thing. So, again, uh, as Moses going off the scene, you've got another generation coming on the scene as well, and they need to be taught certain things, and the Lord has shown Moses additional things to adding and was added. Uh, That's the only explanation I have uh, that I can think of that makes sense. We're not given the reason for it, but uh, it would seem clear to me that uh, he wanted to repeat certain things he's going off the scene, and uh, therefore, you'll find that he repeats some things that he said in Leviticus or some things he said in, 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 that happened in Exodus. And in reciting the history as well, he would have to repeat what was in the book of uh, Numbers, because Numbers is the journey out of Egypt. So if he's, if he's speaking to them in Deuteronomy and, and, and et cetera and repeating their history, he would have to recite those events that occurred and the geographical location. So you'll find that something repeated in Deuteronomy are also mentioned in Numbers. It's just a standard way of, and by the way, you can't you can't um, try to compare writing today and writing six thousand years ago. You know, uh, different emphases, different styles, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So we can't judge the Bible by modern standards um, of, of of writing. Uh, two completely different things. Pastor, for the individual who says, "I'm not a Christian. I don't claim to be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ." In the last two minutes, what words of admonishment or encouragement on life would you give them? I I would say to anybody who is not a believer and who is is um, searching, um, I would encourage them to read the Bible because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And I would suggest that you begin to read 
the Gospels, especially the Gospel of John, because that, that points out to you in, in, in clearest language who Jesus really is. And the signs that were given is to, uh, as John concludes his book, he says, these things are written that you might believe. So he gives enough data and enough, enough information in that book. And the whole design of it, it is an, a book that is a polemic that is designed to lead you to faith and trust in Christ. By the time you end, and you realize that this one cannot be a man. He's more than a man. He's God. That's the whole purpose of John. I would recommend that. The other thing is this. As you, as you make a journey towards becoming a believer, you might have some issues that you're not clear about. I mean, if you've been to college and you've been to certain scientific classes, certain classes you did biology, you did chemistry, whatever it is, you might have been given a, a evolutionary twist and you might be having questions on, along the scientific line. Let me encourage you to start in uh, reading some books on Bible evidences. John Mac, uh, Mac- McDowell, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, v- Volume 1 and 2. Um, um, I think that would be very, very helpful for you. Uh, Norman Geisler has a lot of books as well that deals with these kind of issues. So I would encourage you to read the Bible, and if you come to a hiccup somewhere, turn to uh, Christian writers who can give biblical answers to your problems. And I think you'll find that with this combination, you might be brought to faith and trust in Christ uh, as you are led to understand the truth and believe the truth. Thank you very much for all the interaction tonight. Had a number of questions, good questions, thought-provoking questions. If you have a question that comes to your mind during the week, send it to us via WhatsApp or text message, and we will answer it in next week's episode. Thank you for joining us for today's program. We pray that the Holy Spirit uses the truths shared from God's Word to strengthen your faith. Now you've heard it. That's truth. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can hear more answers to life's questions on That's Truth, Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you're in Antigua, you can listen at 92.3 MHz FM, If you're in the Caribbean, you can listen at 1160 kilohertz AM or listen online at www.radiolighthouse.org from anywhere in the world. Or you can subscribe to this podcast. Looking forward to having you join us next time.